This morning we are finishing up, probably this morning finishing up, the series Family Matters 2, which we've been in for, uh, well, some months now. I think we're on week 14. And, um, you know, we did, we did a series called Family Matters 1 a couple years ago. Now we're revi- we spent some time revisiting this Family Matters 2. And I feel like as long as I've been pastoring this church, that this sort of burden for the family really never goes away, for me at least, on, on my end. And, and I feel like it's a big part of what we do as a church and where we focus at as a church. Um, it's just like no matter, you know, we'll go on to other series, and then, but this always comes up because I see this as an area where Satan is attacking our nation and he's attacking it very uh, intensely and very strategically. And so you see even in, in, in Christianity, and in the church, you see marriages that are struggling, if not falling apart. And you see children being lost in droves. It, it's, it's actually, at this point, it's pretty abnormal, even in the church, it's pretty abnormal to have a teenager that loves God, follows God, prays, worships, and just loves to go to church and is following God, even if they're raised in church. It's, it's sort of abnormal to see that. Mostly what we see are teenagers that are very lukewarm, very apathetic, very detached, could kind of take or leave the church, mostly go because they're made to, and then really have a double or second life going on that even their parents may not know about, things with going on at school, things going on in their private life, things going on on social media, things going on their phone that we don't know about. This is what we see in large, and it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. It's not God's design for the family. But Satan attacks that so strongly because he knows that if he can get that happening in a teenager's life, then likely that will follow them into adulthood. And unfortunately, as we've talked about in this series, you do, the kids do not grow out of everything. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of things that follow them into adulthood. You could say a lot of sin that follows them into adulthood that will affect their relationship with God their marriage, and their family, and then it just perpetuates from generation to generation. You can see why we spend so much time focusing on the family. Because when you get the family right, actually the family is God's original method of discipleship. The idea was that you would have two parents, a a husband and a wife, that love God, love each other, and love their children and get the, get the precepts of God and his word and his law into their children and that they would grow up loving God and then they would go on to do the same thing and that would just perpetuate generation after generation after generation. And the, the damage that can be done if that cycle is interrupted, the damage that can be done if Satan can come in and break up that, that cycle of, of bringing God to each generation from the family is very, very significant. And it begins with us as parents. It's a, it's a dangerous mindset to, to look at a generation, for example, like millennials. And, you know, whenever, whenever now we got Gen Z, but when it was millennials, you know, everyone's like, oh, those dang millennials, you know, they, they think this way, work this way, talk this way, act this way, those dang millennials, you know. And, and, and then now it's Gen Z, and Gen Z's coming up, and they're even younger and the mindset, it's a dangerous mindset to sort of just look at a generation as a, as a blanket statement and go, oh, they are like this. And actually, what, what I've begun to realize, and hopefully what you've begun to realize through this series, the way a generation turns out actually doesn't say much about the generation. It actually say, it says a lot more about the generation that's raising them. 
because it's not, they, they pretty much come into the world as a blank, blank slate. And in droves, if they're turning out a certain way in mass, then that says something about the parents of the previous generation that are raising them. It doesn't actually say much about that generation. All oh, these dang millennials. Well, how about the dang parents that were raising the millennials? That's the issue. Because I'm sorry to tell you, and you go, well, yeah, but it's, it's the internet, it's the phone. They were raised in a generation where the internet, the phone, the this, that, the other. Yeah, and it was the job of the parents to recognize that and the impact that that was having on them and guard them, protect them, and make the adjustments that needed to be made. It's not their fault. They're just a blank slate when they come in. So it does no good to blame the generation. It actually does better to blame the people whose responsibility it was to raise the generation. That really is where the issue comes in. So we're finishing up Family Matters 2, and the last, we've, we've talked about eight milestones in this series that we wanted to put into our children. I hope that you've wrote these down. I hope that maybe at least you've snapped a picture of them as we put them on the screen, you know, most every week. And there, there are eight milestones, and I'm going to go through them briefly here. Number one, this is what we want our children to have when they leave our home. Number one, a strong, vibrant relationship with God. None of these things happen by accident, by the way. Every one of these things, and we spent weeks on each one, every one of these things happened because two parents, hopefully two parents, sometimes one parent, is intentional, dedicated, committed, and focused to make sure that this happens. Number one, that they have a strong, vibrant relationship with God. Number two, they have a love and passion for God's Word. Number three, they have a very high regard and commitment to the local church. Number four, they understand their purpose in this life. Number five, they have a strong moral compass that understands clearly the difference between right and wrong. Number six, they have a tremendous work ethic with corresponding habits and disciplines. And number seven, they've made great strides in defeating selfishness. And today, we're going to talk about that they walk in wisdom. And that would be number eight. The eighth milestone that we want them to have is that they walk in godly wisdom. What is wisdom. Let's talk about what wisdom is. The Bible speaks so much about wisdom and how valuable it is for a person to be successful in life. And this is what we want our, for our children, right? We want them to be successful. We want them to, to have a good job, good family, make good money, be, you know, contribute to their, to their community. Uh, and, and this is what we want for our kids. We want them to be successful. But the Bible connects success, godly success, with godly wisdom. And so many times the things that we're putting into our kids to try to help them be successful actually will not help them be successful unless they have godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is a prerequisite to be successful in this life, at least in the eyes of God, in the kingdom of God. So what is wisdom? Well, let's start by saying what it is not. First of all, wisdom is not knowledge. Okay, very, very, two very different things. There are a lot of people in this life that have knowledge Okay, they've amassed a lot of information about a topic. Okay, they've got a great education. They've amassed tons of knowledge, but they have no wisdom, and then it, it begins to show. Some of the, have you noticed this pattern that some of the smartest people in our world, some of the smartest, most you know, filled with knowledge people in our nation turn out to be some of the dumbest people in a sense, we would say. You might not say dumb, but you go, how could you be so smart yet be so stupid? How could you be so smart but on something so simple you can't get it right? Like what's a man or a woman? 
You can't, you can't even tell that. You're so smart, so educated. You got the whole thing figured out. You got tons of knowledge, but you have no wisdom. You have no wisdom. So wisdom, we want to get wisdom into our kids. We know it is not knowledge. In Scripture, we're actually told to seek both. We're told to seek knowledge in Scripture. We're told to go after, we're told to grow in knowledge. But also to grow in wisdom, understanding, and insight. <clears throat> in Scripture, wisdom is very closely related to discernment. Okay? Discernment. The, the ability to tell the difference between something. The, the ability to have really complicated choices and, and to decide this is the right course of action. This is the right behavior in this circumstance. This is the right thing to say in this moment. To have really complicated information and then be able to decide. Be able to discern what is right and what is correct. And see, this is where, it's dif- this is where, it, differs, uh, this is where it is different than knowledge because Knowledge is just amassing tons of information, but wisdom helps you know what to do with that knowledge. And that's why our kids, we have to get this in them. First of all, of course, as we've talked about in every one of these things, we have to get it in ourselves, and then, even, and then we can help get it into our children. So, not, so wisdom is very closely related to discernment. In essence, it really is the ability to determine what is right in any given circumstance, any given Situation. We're told a story of Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever live, where two women came with a baby. You remember the story? I'm not going to go through the whole story. Maybe you heard the story. They, you know, two women came with a baby. Each was saying the baby was mine, and, and it was, you know, there's no birth certificates, nothing like that. And they were fighting over the baby, and each was saying the baby is mine. And Solomon, in his wisdom, said, well, I'll tell you what, since, since y'all can't decide whose it is, bring me a sword, and we're going to just cut the baby in half. And the one mother said, yeah, that seems fair. And the other mother said, no, 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 she can have the baby. And then Solomon said, okay, give it to her because she's the mother. And he was able to tell that through wisdom. It says throughout all the land, they were amazed by his wisdom. So wisdom, in a sense, is ability to discern. It's ability to determine what is right in in any situation. It was through godly wisdom that Solomon came up with that in the moment to decide what was right. And we see Jesus using this throughout the Gospels. He constantly was confounding the Pharisees with his wisdom over and over. They never could trap him. They were always trying to trap him. They never could trap him because he had godly wisdom and he walked in godly wisdom. For example, another difference we see with knowledge and wisdom is you, you may know, you may have knowledge that selfishness and a reckless mouth destroy relationships and marriages but wisdom help you to apply that knowledge on a daily basis. See, if I ask anybody in here, do you know that selfishness and a careless mouth will destroy your marriage? Uh-huh, yeah. And then, and then you go home, though, and what happens? You, selfishness, <laughs> reckless mouth, starts destroying your marriage. If you know it, that's not the problem. The problem is not knowing it. The problem is knowing how to apply it in every situation. And that's where wisdom comes in. If you're a parent or a spouse, you've probably been frustrated in those moments where you see somebody doing something that you know they know better. You've probably been frustrated with yourself, seeing yourself do things that you know better than to do. But you see somebody doing something and you go, why are they doing that? I know they know better. Yes, exactly. They, do. they know better. They have knowledge, but they don't have wisdom, so they do it anyway. And there's, a, there's, a, there's where we need that, that wisdom. 
Also, what we know about true wisdom is that it only comes from a deep relationship with God. True wisdom only comes from a deep relationship with God because God is the source of true wisdom. And he gives it as a reward to those who seek him. Listen to Proverbs 2, 6. It says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Isn't that good news? Man, have you ever been in a situation where you needed wisdom? You needed to know what to do? You needed to be able to discern? You needed godly wisdom? Right here it says that God actually stores up sound wisdom for the upright. If I, if I told you, you know, let's use the example of, say, money. If I told you, I said, hey, I've been storing up money for you. You didn't know about it. I've been storing it up, putting it back. All you got to do, if you want it, come and get it. I'm storing it up. And you could take advantage of that. That's what God's doing with wisdom. It says he's storing up wisdom, yet we walk around foolish. We walk around doing foolish things. He says, look, I got it stored up. All you got to do is come to me. All you got to do is come seek me. Come spend time with me. Come get into my presence, and I'll just drip it out little by little as you need it. And you'll begin to see your mind change, your life change, your thoughts change. And that's how it is. You don't come to God and get it all at once. Wisdom is acquired over a lifetime. That's why usually wisdom is associated with the, the elderly because it takes a lifetime to build wisdom. You don't get it all at once. But as you go, it's kind of dripped to you little by little. It's dripped. And over time, it's built in your life. I know that's not how we like things in this life. We like it, you know, instant. But see, this, but everything with God is built on relationship. Everything with God is built on us having a relationship with him. Anytime you try to bypass the relationship, well, I just want the wisdom. I just want the faith. I just want the blessings. But, you know, God, you know, I don't really want to have to seek God for it or spend time with him or get to know him or have a prayer life. Well, you're, 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 you're going to break down the system. It doesn't work like that. Everything with God is, relation, is, is built on relationship. And the more time you spend with God, the more time you devote to God, the more time you're in the presence of God, the more time that you rise early and seek God, the more you're going to find yourself walking in wisdom. Why? Let me read it again. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Now, as we read this, because I want to read this whole passage because it's so good. I want you to think about your kids. And, and if this is what you want for your kids, if this is the kind of life that you want for your children, he guards the paths of justice and watches over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice. When? When you get wisdom from God. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech. How many know that we need our children to be delivered from the way of evil in this generation? This is, this is a very wicked, sinful generation. It says wisdom will deliver you from the way of evil. From men of perverted speech. Who forsake the paths of uprightness 
to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose path are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. Uh-oh. See, it didn't just hit on men. Now we get to the women too. This would, this would include pornography. This would include that. And how many of you know our young people need that? They need to be protected and preserved from that. No, everybody's scared to say amen, I know. But it, it's, it's a problem, okay? It's an issue, big issue. You will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her path to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Let me ask you something. Is that still happening today? This, this process that he describes right here of somebody getting hooked up with somebody that is ungodly. So, somebody that is going to lead you into sexual sin. Oh yeah, that's a big problem. This destroys a lot of people's lives. There are a lot of people that get in relationships like this when they're young and their life is forever changed. And, and actually the whole rest of their life is forever changed. But see, this is where we ignore this kind of stuff. Our culture has ignored this. Our Look, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. We could get off into that and make everybody real uncomfortable. We're not going to do that this morning. But, you, but our culture has completely abandoned this. We, we live in a culture that has abandoned all of the sexual ethic and morality of the Bible. And we have done things completely our own way and forsaken God's way. And guess what? We are paying the price very heavily for it. We are paying the price. It's one of the reasons why the family is in the shape that it's in. But we could spend more time on that. We won't do that this morning. But what this Bible tells us, and, and uh, you know, he, he focuses on the forbidden woman. But how many know if you have daughters, they might want to stay away from the forbidden man too. <laughs> A lot of those out there that can cause problems also. <clears throat> Man, y'all sure got quiet all of a sudden. I, maybe we need to stay there more long. I don't know. So... What, what the Word of God is telling us is that when your child gets wisdom, they'll recognize the person that they need to be with and not be with. They'll see character in another person and go, that, they may be pretty out here. They may have a lot of features out here, but that's not the kind of person that I want to be married. And wisdom will help them to discern, I don't want to be around that type of person. I don't want to be connected to that type of person. I'm going to just read it again. That was so good. Let me read it one more time. Verse 16. Wisdom, if you have wisdom, you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, and her house sinks down to death, and her paths go to the departed. That's hell. None who go to her come back. Think about that. None who go to her come back, nor... Do they regain the paths of life? So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. All of this he's talking about is getting wisdom. And that when you get wisdom, you will avoid these traps, these snares, these paths that the enemy has laid out for our young people to trap them when they're young, trap them when they're ignorant, track them when they don't have knowledge and wisdom and they don't know better, track, to trap them when they're foolish. And then by the time they, they realize the mistake, it's too late. 
So he says wisdom will guard them from ever getting in those situations. How many of you wish you'd had a little more wisdom when you were about 16, 17 years old? Yeah, it would have helped a lot. The Bible actually tells us that wisdom is the most valuable resource you can get here on this earth. We think it's gold, silver, diamonds, you know, platinum. No, he actually says wisdom is more valuable than all of those things because he says actually wisdom will help you get those things. But those things can't get you wisdom. Proverbs 8.10, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot be compared with her. Man, isn't that something? The Bible says everything that you desire in this life, everything that you think is so great and so precious, oh, if I could just get this house, if I could just get this piece of land, if I could just get that car, if I could just get that job. He said just getting some wisdom, he said those things can't even compare with the value of getting wisdom. But look at how we treat it. Look at how we treat wisdom. You know, so many times the wisdom is out there. The wisdom's in the Word. The wisdom is going forth in, in sermons. Sometimes it's treated with just like it's common. And we treat it in a way almost with disrespect. But he says when wisdom is going forth, our eyes and our ears should be paying attention. He says because actually this is going to give you the path to life. I don't know how many times as a pastor I've preached entire sermon series on something and then someone's in my office asking for counseling on that very thing and I'm thinking man did, did you count it valuable enough to come and hear that did you count it valuable enough to come or when you were hearing it did you were you taking notes did you did you get it did you go listen to it again because the answers for your situation were there and now the same person who preached the sermon is going to tell you something in the office, but honestly, it's probably not going to come out as good as it did up here. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm not as anointed in my office as I am up here. It's probably not going to come out the same. But so many times when the very answer that we need to hear, we're actually hearing it. It's coming in these two ears, but we don't have enough wisdom to take it and go, I recognize what that is. And I'm going to value that. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to do what I need to do to change that. To capture that and, and meditate on that. Because that could change my life. No, we just we count it as nothing and we disrespect it. But it's the very thing that could change our life. Same thing when we read the Word of God. We read the Word of God. We come across a scripture that speaks to our situation and our difficulty. And sometimes we just read up and we jump right to the next verse. No, he says, look, take my instruction instead of silver. Think about that. Knowledge rather than choice gold. If somebody offered you blocks of gold, they said, now listen, you can, I'm going to give you a choice. I'm going to give you, I've got blocks of solid gold right here, or I'm going to give you one little nugget of wisdom. Who in the world would... Because I would think, man, look, I've heard a lot of wisdom in my day. Just give me those gold blocks. That's what I don't have... But he said the right piece of wisdom, the right, the right nugget of wisdom would be more valuable than all of those gold blocks. Because it'll give you something that those that gold can never give you. And I know a lot of people, and I've heard stories of a lot of people, 
that had all the gold, silver, houses, land, cars, everything they have in their, in their, in their world that they could possibly have. I just heard a guy preaching this the other day. There was a guy in his church that one of the richest, actually wasn't in his church, but lived around his church. He was in the community. And one of, just one of the richest guys had his own plane, had everything. And he, he made a meeting with this pastor and he said, you know, I've got a lot of money. And he said, the pastor said, yeah, you know, I hope you came here to make an offering or something. But yeah, I know you, I heard you got a lot of money. He said, yeah, I got a lot of money. I got everything I could ever want. He said, but I would trade it all for one night of rest, one night of peace. So this is what the Bible is trying to tell us. All the stuff that we think is so important that we go after, if you trade it all in the right season, you trade it all for just a little bit of wisdom that could turn your marriage around. Turn your family around. Turn your situation around. Actually bring you some peace, some joy, some contentment in your life when that gold and that money and that stuff doesn't mean anything to you. Now we hear this and we think, many of us agree. We go, yeah, we know the value of it. But you know, when we believe something, when we say we believe something, how many of you believe that, that our lives ought to match that? You know, if we say we believe that wisdom is valuable, that the Word of God is the thing that's delivering wisdom, and the relationship with God is the thing that's delivering wisdom, you know, then, then we should build our lives around that. We should build our lives around that. We should build our children's lives around it and their schedule around it. Because I've seen a lot of people that say they believe this, but... They'll, they'll miss church and they'll miss their kids being in church like that. But if it comes to a baseball game or it comes to something else, that's, they, they'd move heaven and earth. They'd go sleet, rain, snow, need mud tires, four-wheel drive, whatever I got to do to get there. But you get a little lightning strike, you know, on a Wednesday night. Oh, can't go to church tonight. Weather got bad, you know. So I understand we say we believe it, but really our lives determine and tell us whether or not we actually believe it, whether or not we actually believe that this is the case, what the Word of God is saying. Proverbs chapter 8 continues, verse 15, and now in verse 15, wisdom is talking. Wisdom is speaking. And this is what it says. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me. This is so significant. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Those who seek me diligently. Not those who just haphazardly, occasionally dabble here and there. No, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. My yield more than choice silver. So he talks a lot about gold and silver, but really we could simplify it to say this. Everything that you're seeking, everything that you want in this life, whatever it is that you think will make you happy when you finally get it, he said wisdom is better than all of that. And by getting wisdom, you'd actually end up getting those other things in a, in a way that doesn't bring uh, sorrow and your relationship with God is intact and all of that. So how does a person get wisdom? 
how does a child get wisdom, since that's what we're really talking about this morning. Well, let's start here. Very first thing is wisdom comes from fearing the Lord. This is Proverbs 9.10, and we're going to start there. This is the very foundation of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So let's talk a moment about the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord? Well, when we, when we hear that word fear, and almost every Bible translation uses that word fear, even though in some ways it's offensive to talk about being afraid of God or fearing God, yet the reason so many Bible translations keep that word is because that's exactly what it means. There's not a better word. Fear is the proper word. You could say reverence or respect and that would be correct, but it's not the whole picture. It's more, it's more than just reverence or respect, even though reverence and respect certainly are there. But the fear of the Lord, he says, is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the moment you understand who God is and who you are, now you're at the very, very, very beginning of wisdom. You're at the very, very beginning of wisdom. Fearing God means having an understanding that one day you will stand before him as final judge. Should that create fear? Yes, it should. Uh, and it's intended to. I mean, throughout the Bible, uh, we, are, we are warned with the coming judgment and the final judgment. We are warned that every person will stand before God and give an account for their life. And a determination will be made at that moment based on what you did here. Whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell for eternity. And if that doesn't strike fear in your heart to some level. <laughs> then you've lost your mind. That is a very sobering thought. It's a very, very fearful thought in that way. Now does God want us walking around all afraid? No. Because once you receive Christ as salvation and you understand the cross and you understand Jesus, you don't have to walk around in fear of God. But this, but this very beginning, very elemental, very basic understanding of who God is, how great God is, how much power God is, that he's creator and that I'm who I am, a piece of dirt that he formed and fashioned, that my life is short and it's going to be over and then I'm going into eternity. All of that should strike a element of fear in my heart. Now, most of the time the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it would be proper and appropriate to sort of translate that to reverence or respect, having reverence for God, holy reverence, holy respect for God. But still, there's an element there of a healthy fear also. If you grew up in a good home, you had a healthy fear of your parents. Even if your parents loved you, loved you like crazy, and you had the best life ever, if they disciplined you, you had a healthy fear of them. Because I know what line not to cross. And if you, have, if you have kids, you know that sometimes those kids will cross that line. Almost get a little too familiar, like we're buddy-buddy. Hold on a minute, we're buddy-buddy, but I'm your dad still. And if the moment is needed, I will still discipline you, even if I do it out of love. So there's that healthy respect, that healthy fear. You know, sometimes parents will say that, I'm about to put the fear of God in you. You know, and but really what they mean is I'm about to put the fear of dad in you. You're going to because you're going to understand that you have to listen. You have to respect. You have to honor. So there's a healthy element of that. 
this reminds me, uh, the fear of God and the concept of the fear of God reminds me of, if you've seen the movie uh, Jurassic Park, where you got these guys that they study dinosaurs, like, and they look at their bones, and they have diagrams and everything, and so they, they're very comfortable and all, and they could give lectures, you know, on, well, the T-Rex is this, and the teeth are this, and the claws are this, and so they just, you know, very casual with it, very common, and then all of a sudden, they're in that little SUV, and the T-Rex, a real T-Rex has broke out of the fence, and now his teeth are on top of your car, like everything you ever taught or thought you knew, all of a sudden you just can't even remember any of it because you're, you're having an encounter with a real T-Rex. God's not a T-Rex, by the way. But the point is that this happened in the Bible many times. This happened with Isaiah, for example. Isaiah, he was a prophet. He was telling everybody about God. He could, he could quote you all the scriptures and theology. He could tell you all about God. And then he had an encounter with the real true God face-to-face encounter with God. He fell, on his floor, he fell on the floor, and this is what he kept saying, woe is me, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. <laughs> he didn't even know how to act in the presence of God. He just basically lost himself. I mean, he fell on the floor just crying, woe is me, woe is me. This happened over and over and over again when people would encounter God. This happened to John, the apostle John in the book of Revelation. When he encountered Jesus, he, did, he just fell on the floor. Look, people in the Bible didn't even have to encounter God. They could just encounter an angel. And they'd lose it just on the floor in the presence of God. So we may think we know God, and we may think, oh, we, we understand God, and we have a healthy respect for God. Yeah, but when it's talking about fearing the Lord, it's talking about having that awareness and that understanding that, no, I may not have encountered you like that, but I know who you are. I know who you are, and I know who I am. All I have to do is look at the sun, the stars, the galaxy, the galaxies, the Milky Way. I, all I have to do is look out and see a little bit of your creation, and real quick I can begin to understand who I am and who you are and that there is a very, very vast gap between the two of us. And what does that do? It creates a healthy fear, reverence, respect in our heart for God. And some people will say, well, what about... In the New Testament, you know, because in the Old Testament it talks a lot about the fear of the Lord, but in the New Testament, you know, we're not supposed to have to fear God. And I would agree with that to a degree that <clears throat> once you have an understanding of the cross and grace, and as long as you're, you're under that umbrella of protection, yeah, you have no reason to be afraid of God in that way, but that reverence and that respect should still be there. But even in the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, 11, you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? When they, they lied about the land that they sold. And Ananias comes in, just the short version. He lies to the Holy Spirit. He drops dead in the presence of God. Then Sapphira comes in. She lies. She drops dead. And they carry it out. This is all happening in the church building, by the way. So, hey, it could still happen today. Don't lie when you come in church. That's, it ain't no joke. And this is what it said, verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. When you read this chapter, this is considered a good thing. This is not a negative thing. It's considered a good thing that when they saw how serious it was to have unholiness lying in your life in the presence of God, it said that fear came upon the whole church and 
all who heard these things. There was a respect. There was an honor. Oh, hold on a minute. We need to walk a little straighter. <laughs> we, need, we need to walk a little tighter here uh, because this is not just something casual. This is not just something informal. This, you know, Jesus is not my homeboy. As you've seen the T-shirts say, maybe, the little bobblehead dolls. I don't know if you've seen that, but anyway. No, Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus, he's God, he's Father, yes, but he's King also. And there's a reverence and a respect that comes along with that. Even when we come into church, we're lacking this. We're lacking this. In, in most churches, we're lacking this. We come in, got our coffee, worship, worship's going, you know, we're talking to our neighbor, to check it to in our phone, we waddle, waddle in, waddle out, getting coffee, coming in, out, going to the bathroom, this, that, or the other. Listen, that's not respect and reverence. That's not respect and reverence. When we understand what's happening during worship, when we understand what's happening during the word, there's a respect and an honor and a reverence that should be there for both of those things, for worship and the word. When the word starts going forth, that's the time to focus our attention. Not because of me, but because of what we're talking about. We're reading the scriptures, the holy scriptures of God, the God of the universe. This is his word that changes our life. And there's a way to communicate God, I respect you, I honor you, and I honor your word, and I'm going to give it my full and undivided attention. When we come to church, there should be more of a reverence and a respect when we walk through those doors. Not for any man, but for God, in honor of God, in service of God. So even the way that we come into church should matter. I've seen people walk into funerals for example, with a lot more respect than they walk into church because we understand something serious happened here. People are mourning. People are upset, and so they walk in. It's very solemn. They're quiet because they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to do the wrong thing because they want to honor the people that are, more, that are in mourning. And that's proper and that's right. But in a sense, not like we should come into church like it's a funeral. Don't, don't misunderstand. But that mindset of, hey, this is something special happening here today. This is not just common. This is special. And I want to reverence, I want to honor God when the, when the worship. Like last Sunday, while we were worshiping, uh, the presence of God just came in this place. So much to the point that it didn't even feel like a decision for me to preach or not. I mean, it was just obvious. I'm not interrupting this because I know my place and I know my role. And if God is here and God's doing something, I'm not... Who am I to get up and say, okay, guys, time to preach? There was something special going on there last Sunday. And if you missed that, I hate you missed it. And if you were here and you, didn't, you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go home and pray and repent because your heart is hard. You missed it. I don't know. You just got to go home and pray. There was something special here last Sunday. And when that happens, think about what is going on. The God of the universe counted you worthy enough, counted you special enough to show up in this room. And let you know, I love you. You're special to me. I want to be involved in your life. And the, the, the honor and respect that we give him when that happens, I believe, is what facilitates that. I mean, when we come in with that reverence and that honor and that respect, I believe that facilitates that kind of environment in here, in, in, our, in, our, in our church. So it's very important. Malachi 3, 6, 16 says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Notice those who feared the Lord. Those, they're being all lumped into a group. And actually, if you read this whole chapter, you, he, he first talked about those who did not fear the Lord. 
And they're, but they're, they're, they weren't Christians because this is Old Testament, but they were followers of God, but yet they didn't fear God. Interesting. And they, they talked about God. They said things about God that weren't true and they weren't right. And God was making the comment. He's saying, I was listening to you when you said that. And you didn't have any fear. You didn't have any reverence. You said things about me that weren't true. This is what God was saying. If you go read this whole chapter. He's saying, you, you said things about me that weren't true. And I heard it. And then on the other side, though, now he's talking to those who do fear him. And he says, I was listening to you, too. And I heard what you said. Matthew 3, 3, 6, uh, Malachi 3.16, he says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So it says that when two people fear the Lord, and they begin to talk about the goodness of God and what God has done for me and how he's impacted me, things he's done in my life... It says that, in this case at least, there was a book of remembrance wrote down about that conversation. There was a book of remembrance wrote down about that conversation before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. This is what he says. They shall be mine, says the Lord, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. Praise God. I've often thought, man, I really would love to see that distinction in our world. I would love to see the distinction between those who serve God and those who, who do not. Because there's been times in the Bible you read where God makes that distinction. And he makes it very clearly. Like think about in Egypt with the plagues. There was a clear distinction made between those who served God and those who, do, who did not. Those who feared God and those who did not. Let me, let me leave you with this on the fear of the Lord. Because we're talking about how to get wisdom into our children. Well, number one, we have to teach them to fear the Lord. We have to teach them, for example, I mean, it's in the small things. It's in the little things. We have to teach them when we're at the table. Something as simple as when we sit at the table and we pray over the food. Don't take a bite of your, if this is something you do in your home. I'm not saying you got to, you know, say the blessing or don't. But if you do, and that's part of your ritual and part of what you do, don't take a bite of that food before we pray. We're going to honor God first. And you might say, well, that seems, you know, legalistic. Well, it also teaches the fear of the Lord. That we're going to honor God before we do this. If that's part of your family tradition and what you do. Teach them when they come into church. When you come into church, how you act, how you sit, how you dress. When you come into the house of God, how you act. When, when the reading of the scripture is happening, in church or at home, how do you act when the word of God is being read? You turn off what you're doing. You stop what you're doing. You sit up. You pay attention. Now the word of God is being written. There's a, there's a holiness. There's a respect. There's a reverence that should be there. And, and that is imparted to them by how you act and how you treat. If you're sitting in church and the word of God is going forth and, and one of them lean over and whisper something to you and you say, hey, not right now. The word of God is going forth. We're going to listen. Whatever you got can wait. That teaches respect. That teaches reverence. If they're talking to one another, a little pop across the head. You know, ain't going to hurt nothing. I used to get it all the time. What you doing? You know, quit talking. The word's going forth. <laughs> get a little fear of you in them too. That's good. They need that. Some of y'all too soft. I'm sorry. Y'all just, you know, I don't know what to tell you. But anyway, 
No, but it's, we got to teach it, and we impart it to them. We impart how we fear the Lord, how we reverence the Lord, and that we impart that to them. So we teach them to fear the Lord. We teach them to reverence and respect the Lord. But let me leave you with this on the fear of the Lord. If you show me a Christian, well, before I say that, let me say this. A lot of the fear of the Lord in Scripture, the way that it's related, uh, and the way you know if a person fears the Lord or not, is very simple. Do they obey the commands of the Lord or not? This is, this is so often in the Old Testament how this is communicated. And if you do not obey the commands of the Lord, it's, it's a shut case. You don't fear the Lord. That's period. If you have sin in your life and you just keep doing that, you don't fear the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is I know that I'm accountable to you. And I know that you see everything, that you hear everything, and that you watch everything. And so I know that. And out of fear, reverence, and respect for you, even when I'm in private, I'm not going to live a life of sin. And that is the truest form of the fear of the Lord is just obedience to his commands. If you show me a Christian who does not obey the commands of the Lord, I will show you a Christian that does not fear the Lord. They do not fear the Lord. Now, they may have a measure of it, but not like the Scripture's talking about. Not like the scripture. This doesn't mean that you're perfect. doesn't mean that you never sin. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about a, a person who has unrepentant sin in their life, and they just go on, and they make excuses for it, and they don't change, and they just, they're not even being convicted about it, and they're just going that own, own direction. Listen, you're, you're not walking in the fear of the Lord. And you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. You can't say, I fear the Lord, and then you don't follow any of his commands or instructions. That doesn't make, that doesn't make sense. And here's the other part of that, since we're talking about wisdom. If you show me a Christian who does not fear the Lord, I will show you a Christian who has no wisdom. If, if you show me someone who is, does not have the fear of the Lord, and yet they say they're a Christian, I, I will show you someone who walks in a lack of wisdom. And all the time, they're making choices, they're making decisions, they're doing things to mess things up in their life and in their family, because they have no wisdom. They have no wisdom because they don't fear the Lord. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to walk in wisdom, it begins with walking in holy reverence and respect for God, His Word, and His commands. And we have to teach our children this. And, and, and listen, despite of what is kind of like what you might consider common wisdom in our world, wisdom is not reserved for the aged. It's not reserved for the elderly. It is reserved for people who follow God. Now, if you've been walking in reverence and respect and the fear of the Lord for decades, yeah, you're going to have a lot of wisdom. But you don't automatically get wisdom by age. I hate to say it. You get experience and you get knowledge, but you, could, you might just have a lot of bumps on your head. That don't mean you get wisdom just because you're getting older, because that's not how wisdom comes. That's how knowledge and experience come. But knowledge and experience without wisdom, we've already shown, it, it doesn't necessarily translate to a good thing. So... Wisdom is what we are after, and we begin there, we begin by having the fear of the Lord, amen? Okay, last thing I want to give you this morning, this is, number one, how do we get wisdom in our kids? We teach them to fear the Lord. Number two, we, this is just two simple things you can do, teach them to fear the Lord, and number two, 
Teach them to listen to correction, instruction, and advice. Teach them, help them understand, mold them, shape them into a person that can receive correction, can receive criticism, and can receive instruction. This requires humility. Now, let's talk about what the Word of God says on this. Proverbs 4, 1. I'm going to read you several scriptures. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Proverbs 4.13, keep hold of instruction, do not let go, guard her, for she is your life. If you, if you read through Proverbs, it talks a lot about the fool who cannot receive instruction. And that they are headed on a path of destruction. If they can't have anybody speak into their life and say, hey, you were wrong. Hey, let me help you with that. Let me teach you something. And you always got to be prideful. And you, you can't allow anybody to speak in your life. Every time somebody goes to tell you something, you got to already tell them how you already know it. And you got to show them how much you already know. If anybody, if anytime somebody tries to teach you anything, correct you on anything, criticize you on anything, you immediately jump into defense mode and you turn it back on them and you, you learn to blame them and shift the blame. If that's what you, if that's what our children do, okay, I start with you. If that's what we do. Okay, then that's what our children do. That's going, to be one, that's going to be an enormous roadblock in your life for wisdom. Because you already know what you know. So it doesn't help to talk about what you know. You already know what you know. What you don't know is what may be coming into your life through someone else. And so that requires humility. Most people can't receive correction or instruction or criticism because they're insecure. They got to show that they already know they got to show that you don't know more than me. they got to show that I don't need to be taught because I already got it together. They're, they're insecure, or on the other end, they're super prideful and arrogant. But either way, those things prevent you from receiving instruction. Because most people, when they try to give you advice or help, they'll do it one or two times. And if it's received, then they'll, they'll keep helping you. If, it's, if you throw up that wall, nobody likes banging their head against a wall. So if you throw up that wall, then they go, you know what, i got time to go give this to somebody else. I'm not going to try to force feed it to somebody that doesn't want it. And so you limit the amount of wisdom and instruction that can come into your life from, from someone else who might have wisdom you need. Not being able to receive criticism, correction, and instruction is the mark of a fool in Scripture. So the opposite of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. See, the way of a fool, he goes, I'm already right. I already got this figured out. I don't need your help. I already know what I'm doing. I already know the way I'm going. I got this. He says, yeah, that's, that's foolish. But he says, a wise person listens to advice. See, you can, a wise person can listen to advice and if they, even if they already know it. A wise person can listen to advice. In other words, somebody's telling them something you already know. You don't got to jump out and say, I already know that. Just sit there and listen and say, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You don't have to go ahead and say, oh, I already knew that. Oh, yeah, I already read that. Oh, I already watched that. Just listen. Oh, thank you. A wise person listens to advice. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge but he who hates reproof is stupid. That's the Bible's word, not mine. I didn't say that. 
Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Ignoring correction leads to disaster, Proverbs 13, 18. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. Proverbs 29, 1. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing, broken beyond repair, another translation says. So if we want to help our kids gain wisdom, two simple things. One, we need to teach them to fear the Lord because this is the beginning of wisdom. And number two, we need to teach them to learn and listen to correction. This is this, you know, in training your children through parenting, this, you have ample opportunity for this. When you go to tell your kids something or explain your kids their reaction, you got to deal with the reaction. Okay, I go to tell you something and you go, oh, I already know. It. Well, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. We're not doing that because you're going to learn to listen to correction. I don't care if you already know it. I want you to be quiet and listen. And when I'm done, say thank you. That's teaching them. But if when you, every time you go to talk and they're doing this and they're doing, a, a child has to be taught that when w- you don't know everything and when wisdom is coming out, you need to shut your mouth, open your ears, and listen, there's a, there's a demeanor you should have when instruction and discipline is coming into your life. And that has to be taught, and it's not taught once. It has to be reminded over and over and over. And, and the older they get, the more they think they know. Y'all know that. <laughs> and they have to be reminded, you may already know some of what I'm saying. That still doesn't mean you can't listen to what I'm saying and receive more of what I'm saying. Just don't be defensive. Sit here and listen. And they, they'll adjust, or, you know, hopefully. They just keep working with them. They'll adjust. And they'll learn to sit there and listen. You don't always have to know it all. But that has to be taught and put in them. So number one, teach them to fear the Lord. And number two, teach them to listen and learn from correction and criticism. And they'll grow in wisdom as a result. Amen. Amen. 